Hi, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. I need your support. You can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible audiobook from audibletrial.com science. Just for getting you to try them out, Audible will pay me a small reward. Or you could click on an Amazon link on diffusionradio.com and Amazon will kick a few percent of what you pay them my way. Please, make a donation directly with the PayPal button on www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition... Faster than light travel and anti-gravity. But first up, here's the news. MRI can write off cancer as well as read it. Researchers at the University of Sheffield in the UK have discovered that magnetic resonance imaging machines can not only diagnose cancer but also treat it eight times more effectively than other cancer treatments. An international team at the University of Sheffield, led by Dr. Munita Muthana, labelled some immune cells with superparamagnetic iron oxide nanoparticles and loaded them with a cancer-killing virus. This allowed the powerful magnets in the magnetic resonance imaging machine to guide the cancer-killing cells directly to tumours that would otherwise be impossible to reach by injection alone. There are fewer side effects when you target the cancer cells directly. So you can guide the cancer therapy directly to the tumours and then watch as they home in on the cancer cells. This study was conducted in mice. The human trials are still to come. The study was funded by the Medical Research Council and was conducted by the University of Sheffield in collaboration with the University of College London, University College London Comprehensive Cancer Imaging Centre, Keele University Stoke-on-Trent, the University of Florida Gainesville, and Virtu Biologics Glasgow. The paper was published in the journal Nature Communications and was titled Directing Cell Therapy to Anatomic Target Sites in Vivo with Magnetic Resonance Imaging. Magnetically steerable cancer-killing viruses that you can watch as they move into place to start healing you. The video game that saves your life. listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. 
send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Grant Lewis is a professor of astrophysics at the Sydney Institute for Astronomy at the University of Sydney. We spoke about the future of relativity, warp drives for spaceships, and anti-gravity. I began by asking him about the talk he planned for the Sydney Science Festival. It's 100 years since Einstein wrote down his uh, general theory of relativity, so I'm giving a talk on Monday to tell people about what, what a miraculous century it's been with regards to understanding gravity through Einstein's theory and what kind of things we can look forward to in the future. So what sort of things can we look forward to in the future? So we've only really started to scratch the surface with regards to the mathematics of Einstein's theory. It's notoriously difficult. One of the things that people have been finding is that there are seemingly impossible aspects to the universe which are hidden away inside that theory. One of them is something known as the Alcubierre warp drive. And uh, this is a, a way of bending space and time to allow us to travel to the universe at any speed we want to. So... I've read a little bit about it. Does that actually compress space in front and expand it behind? Yes, it's it's just like out of science fiction. Effectively, what you do is you squeeze the space in front, you expand the space behind, and that way you travel through the universe, basically riding on a bubble of space. And what is physically required to build such a device? Ah, that's the tricky part. While we can understand the equations of relativity in terms of space and time, it does tell us that we need materials, materials that have what's known as negative energy to essentially allow us to build such a propulsion unit. So while the mathematics say that we can do this, whether or not we can physically realize such a solution in the universe, we still don't know. We might not know for a few hundred years. Do we know of anything that has negative energy? Well, we do. We do. In fact, the vacuum itself, all the vacuum around us has the property of negative energy. So all aspects of our universe carries this negative energy around. The problem is, is how you would mine it and condense it and build it into a spacecraft. Because the only thing I've seen with negative energy is things like the Casimir effect with the two metal plates that get pushed together. Yes, yes. So the Casimir effect is basically the the effect of the vacuum having negative energy. We also know that the universe has this cosmological constant term, which is also a negative energy density. We really don't understand the properties of that. Now, it could be that these things exist and it is physically impossible for us to ever mine them. But if we could get that negative energy material into an object, it would be a very different world we would see. Is anybody working on negative energy? There are lots of people trying to work on the theoretical aspects of negative energy, and there are a few people who claim to be building space drives based on negative energy. At the moment, I think the consensus is, is that it's still too uh, ethereal a topic to really use in driving spacecraft. But people are trying to understand the properties of the universe on the negative energy aspects. So what would it be like for people using this drive to have the space warp bubble around them and going faster and faster? In fact, could they go faster than light? Yes, they can. It's one of those strange things about relativity. Inside the bubble, light would travel at its normal speed, but the bubble itself would travel faster than light can globally. So inside the bubble, everything is, is fine, and the bubble happily tears through the universe. The very interesting thing about the warp bubble is it, it is very sci-fi-esque in that there is no inertial issues. So when the bubble accelerates, you don't get squashed against the back wall like strawberry jam. You just sit there floating around. 
We have found there are problems associated with the bubble, though, in that the bubble tears through the universe at arbitrary high speed. The universe isn't empty. It's, it's filled with little bits of dust and little bits of atoms and radiation. And the bubble would actually act to pick up all of that radiation, and it would all pile up like a bow wave in front of the, the bubble. When you decelerate, then all of that energy is released. And if you were going to use the bubble to travel around the universe, you could end up irradiating the people who are waiting there to meet you. So it could become a weapon. It could become a weapon, but I hope that that's an aspect that we would try and solve rather than use it for you know negative uses. It might get some military funding, though. Uh, yes, yes. But all weapons started off as positive science at some point, and I'm hoping that, that looking at things like warp drives will lead to positive solutions. So if manipulation of negative energy is sometime in the future, what else can we look for in the near future? Well, in terms of Einstein's theory, the, the next thing in terms of a scientific advance, I think everybody is waiting for the detection of gravitational waves. So we have these very violent events in the universe when, when massive stars collide. And they, the collisions are so violent, they actually shake space and time. Those ripples can radiate out from the collision. And people are building detectors here on Earth to try and detect these, these shakes. Now, by the time they reach Earth, they're extremely, extremely weak. But if we can detect these gravitational waves, it's a completely new way of looking at the universe. We will see all the violent effects around us. We will actually hopefully be able to detect gravitational waves left over from the very birth of the universe that would reveal what happened in the earliest instances. Is there any chance that could lead to physics that could let us integrate gravity into quantum physics? Yes. I mean, this is one of the goals everybody would like to do is, is that modern physics is built upon two pillars. You have gravity, des de described by Einstein's theory on this side, quantum mechanics on the other side, and they do not integrate well together. Clearly, something is missing, and it depends on who you talk to about which side is, is lacking, but it's really felt that a proper integration of these two pillars of modern science together will give us a deeper understanding of the workings of the universe. And through that understanding, there will be new technologies, new devices, new iPhones probably. But, but I mean, it, this is every time we've, we've made these kind of advances in understanding the universe, it, it's opened new doors to seeing the way the universe works and then eventually harnessing those processes for use here on Earth. So is something like anti-gravity possible? Anti-gravity is depends on how you define anti-gravity. Can you shield yourself against gravity? Well, the warp bubble is something like that, but it takes an enormous amount of mass, an enormous amount of energy to warp space such that you would, you would have a gravity shield or anti-gravity, etc. It's not beyond the realms of the theory involved, but you know, in practical terms, you would need to harness the powers of suns or multitudes of suns to get that to work. But there are plenty of science fiction writers who have thought about civilizations you know, far greater than ours that would be able to harness the energy of multiple suns and then even galaxies, etc. Then what you could do with that energy would be you know, truly extraordinary. So what else can future developments in relativity allow us to do? What, what's, what more is in your future? Well, 
I wish I knew. As I said, we've, it's been 100 years, we've scratched the surface, and in the mathematics that we've derived, we've found expanding universes, it describes our universe. We've got the entire question of black holes and what goes on inside black holes, and can black holes lead to other universes, etc. That Those questions need to be answered. And of course, there's this integration of gravity into uh, quantum mechanics, which I think, will, if and when it happens, it will be a, a, a brand new renaissance in science. It, we, we will understand, we'll go beyond the birth of the universe and understand what came before. To predict what that impact that will have for everyday people, I think that's difficult for us to do. It is a, it's as difficult for us to predict what undercovering the full theory of relativity and quantum mechanics will tell us, as it was for somebody like Newton to imagine an Apollo rocket flying to the moon, using the equations he wrote down in the 1600s. We can do a lot in a few hundred years. That was Geraint Lewis, Professor of Astrophysics at the Sydney Institute for Astronomy at the University of Sydney. Tune in next week for part two of this interview, where he talks about black holes, wormholes, time machines, and the EM drive. At this Sydney Mini Maker Fair, there were all kinds of makers, not just people with 3D printers or just building robots. Edric Hong is a secretary of the Sydney Origami Club. The club recently incorporated, but has been meeting for six years. I began by asking him, where is the club based in Sydney? Currently, we have uh, monthly meetings, which we alternate between Willoughby and the Town Hall CBD but we've recently just secured space over at the Altimo Community Centre just across the road and we'll be rolling out uh, workshops and classes from October onwards. What sort of things have you been helping people build today? Ah, okay. All right. So the Makers Fair this weekend is really an opportunity for us to raise uh, some funds for the club. So what we've been doing is just basically with a gold coin donation, we've been showing everyone how to make <laughs> used train ticket cubes, <laughs> which then can be constructed into, as any mathematical geek will be able to tell you, um, you can make uh, manga sponges out of that. And butterflies, flowers, jumping frogs, paper quilts, and flowers. Yeah. And as you said, so there's a bit of maths involved in the origami. Oh, origami is maths. Yeah. Our club tagline is um, origami for work, rest and play. It's our goal, once we get the club going further, is to actually um, get the club to be like an information uh, portal for industrial design, for occupational therapy, getting people to uh, improve their motor functions, and also for design and art, obviously, yeah. Now you mentioned a jumping jumping frog. Does it jump? Does it actually jump on its own, or what do you have to do? It, so it relies on basically the. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the potential energy of the card, maybe of the paper, and you go flick, and there you go. So you flip it like a tiddlywink. What's that? Oh, like a little. Like a little counter that you can flip yes. with your finger? Yes, 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 essentially, yep, yep. All right, this might be an odd question, Yeah. but I was, I was wondering if it's a real possibility. I saw on a TV show where someone made a little origami frog and they set it down and it flipped on a delayed reaction. So it took like 
a minute before it flipped after they put it down? Yeah, that would actually depend on the properties of the paper that you use. Yeah, so the different types of paper would obviously give you the different outcome. So you could actually do a delayed reaction jumping frog? You could, yes, 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 yes. I don't know exactly which type of paper that you would need for that, but yes, I, I have seen that uh, done before, yes. Where would you look for those sort of patterns? Is that the sort of thing that are the there good pattern? sources online? Well, to how to make it, the instructions. Uh, well, I can show you one now today if you like. <laughs> oh, I would like that. I would like that. All right, if you're going to show me that, that's not very radio, but that's right. Yeah. But I'd like to have it. a look. Uh, all right. So, so well, thank you. I will have a look at that in a moment. We're, we're we'll be running classes in October, obviously. So uh, if anyone's interested, um, just look us up. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're called just Sydney Origami. Or you can go to a site that's called origami.org.au and that basically has the contacts of all the state-based origami groups in Australia. Well, Edric, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> that was Edric Hong of the Sydney Origami Club showing me how to fold a jumping paper frog. Nicola O'Brien is founder of Code Rangers, where kids are in charge of technology learning to code at before and after school workshops. I began by asking her, what are the ages of the kids who take these workshops? We work with eight to 12 year olds who are just starting to learn about coding. And where are you based? We run classes around the North Shore in Sydney and Marrickville in the inner west, as well as holiday programs in the same spots. And what sort of programming techniques, or what sort of programming languages do you teach the kids? Uh, what we love doing is getting them thinking computationally, which is giving them the skills to think like a computer and to express what they want to achieve in terms a computer will understand. So younger children start with a language called Scratch that lets them, for example, create a simple ping pong game by directing a sprite around a screen using X and Y coordinates, using motion sensors and velocity and to take an idea like jump and put that into coding, which is change a Y coordinate by 10 and then pause and bring it back down. So that's the main language with younger kids. How long does it take them to be able to get the basics going? Kids really like a quick return. So right from the first lesson, they'll have projects that they can make and save. After about a term, we're getting them quite comfortable using concepts like loops and if-else statements and really starting to think a bit more deeply about what they want to achieve. So results from day one and they can just go deeper and deeper. And I saw you've got, you've got software there for putting together Android software yes. visually? Yes, so a lot of the resources we come have been developed by MIT in the US and Scratch is the starting point, but their follow-on product's called App Inventor and that lets you create Android apps and package them. You can sell them in the Google Play Store if you want to, if you think there's a market, uh, but you can make a fully functioning app using drag and drop programming. So what sort of apps are the kids developing? Some pretty funny ones. <laughs> the one that's been the biggest hit so far is when you take a selfie and you use paint and dots and lines on the screen so you can decorate it. Take a selfie or a picture of your cat, give it whiskers and a moustache, save it, share it with your friends, that sort of thing. It's pretty amazing that kids can get Android software and they've got a computer in their pocket, why shouldn't they program it? Exactly. I mean, we just try and get whatever's handy, whatever they engage with and get them learning as well as possible. So where are you on the internet? 
We are www.coderangers.com.au. Well, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. That was Nicola O'Brien from Code Rangers. Carmel Morris is the author of the definitive books on how to make paper planes. She was showing kids how to make many different types of paper planes at the Sydney Mini Maker Fair. She spoke to me as we were just about to be ushered out of the museum. Hi there, my name's Carmel and I make paper planes. I do it for a living, I make money from it, I make lots of models and I've inspired many, many authors because my planes were made when I was very young. I created them all when I was eight years old and the publishers picked up on that. First publisher was HarperCollins. They went rushed away and published a few books for me and I, they sold hundreds of thousands of copies. So much so that other people have been lifting off my models, which is fine because I like to inspire people. And then I've just created an app, Paper Aircraft Advance, which you can download for iPhone and iOS just to enhance the experience of making paper planes on the go, out in the field, wherever you are. In my case, at university, it was a lecture theatre at schools and so on. The thing is about my models, some of them are quite complicated, some of them are elegantly simple, and there's a lot of flight physics involved, there's, there's engineering, there's math, but it doesn't have to be, it can just be pure fun. And, and making something wonderful starts from pure fun. Uh, for example, these aircraft, kids have been having a lot of fun making them. As well as your career with writing, you've also been an engineer? Yes, I've worked in the engineering industry and I've had engineers come up to me and say, did you write this book? And I say, yeah. And they said, you inspired me into engineering. So it's the little things when you're a little kid and you're given something as a challenge to make and you love it. That's the inspiration for making bigger and better things. And so I've had a lot of people come to me saying, you've inspired me into engineering and math and, and aeronautics as well. So that's been really good. And where should people look for you online? Just go to your iPhone or, or Play Store and look for Paper Aircraft Advance. You can download it and there's links to my Amazon books as well. The books are also available in some bookshops. If they're not there, just tell them to order it in. But particularly this new one that's come out called Paper Airplane Compendium. So have a look for that. It's got about 30 planes in it. And yeah, just go have fun. And the inspiration is in the books for you to create your own models and that's what it's all about. You creating your own stuff, experimenting and it, it, making a plane, starting with something that crashes you, it's like science, you make another one, improve upon it, make another one, improve upon it. So it's all the same thing, it's just another aspect of engineering. Oh, don't forget to also download paper spacecraft because they don't actually fly in space and, but I still want to do that experiment with NASA. We've been talking about doing the experiment where they get one of my models and let it launch at the stratosphere and see what happens to it. It'll probably burn up, but you never know. If I can do a 3D printed one with some composite polymers, and there's some polymers now that are very heat tolerant, you could try that. It'd be still like a paper plane style, but 3D printed. And my son, I've been inspired my son to build a quadcopter, and we are also working on Bluetooth connectivity to do paper aircraft ramp launches. So you fire your quad copper up 100 metres into the air, hit the button, the ramp lifts up and the plane flies off. And we've got an um, a elastic method as well. And it shoots off, a bit like those ships in Battlestar Galactica. They shoot off the top of the, the quad copter platform and they're flying really far, high and far. A lot of fun. Well, Carmel, thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Carmel Morris author of best-selling books and apps 
on how to make wonderful paper aircraft and spacecraft. Despite the world's highest living standards, the average American remained vaguely discontent, aware that his goal of a better way of life had still not been fully realized. There was something missing. John. Yes, Mary. John, what's happening to us? I think we both know, Mary. It's just that we seem to be drifting apart. I'm sorry, Mary. I've tried. Oh, I don't blame you, John. It's just that... It's not your fault either, of course. It's just that, that we don't have... Exactly. There's this awful gap in our lives just because we don't have... Oh, but why talk about it? It's just that... Oh, I keep hoping someone can find a way to... Don't be a fool, Mary. You know that's impossible. Oh, I'd know. It's just that... Dad, it's ironic. With all our technology and industrial know-how, we still don't have the one thing that could give us a better way of life. They say it can't be done, that it's just an impossible dream. But in the laboratories of... Your name here. There is a modest sign. And here, dedicated scientists face the challenge. Years of heartbreaking failures and setbacks only stiffened their resolve to conquer the problem. And one day, a strange and historic accident. Uh-oh. Well, you did it again. Gee, what a mess. Oh, well. Wait a minute. Maybe... Listen. Hi, Gad. Do you suppose this freak accident... Of course. That's it. That's the answer. We've done it. After all these years, we've invented it. How about that? From the laboratories of your name here had come the key to the secret that had baffled man through the ages. Success. John, you mean... That's right, Mary. I've got the promotion. Sorry, tomorrow I'm no longer just a shipping clerk. I'm chairman of the board. And it's all because of... Your product here. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends and follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 2 NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2 X in Canberra, and 3 NBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, videos and photos about this week's show. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. 
It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.